setting margins in life, biblically-based wise margins, is recognizing the value of life, that you and I want to make the most of it, don't want to waste the life that we have. And last week, we looked at the, the need for wise margins in our lives, and that was the easy part. Now comes the hard part. We're going to talk the next three weeks on how do you and I, over time, it doesn't happen overnight, how do you and I, if we need to, how do we establish biblical margins in our life, breathing space, if you will, uh, in our lives. And we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3. Some of these verses are going to be familiar to you, but I want to put them in a bigger context in just a moment. But before I do that, Dr. Richard Swenson, who is a, a medical doctor I have shared with you before, and he wrote a book on margin, and he, he defined margin in this way. I thought it's a good definition for us to understand. He said, margin is the space between our load and our limits. You see, sometimes we're constantly, as a pattern, taking too much load way past our limits, and, and that's not a good thing. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion. Occasional exhaustion is life, but exhaustion as a way of life is another thing. The space between breathing freely and suffocating. You ever felt like you've been suffocating at times in life, right? So I want you and I to look at this, and, and what are the two first steps, if you will, the two basic parts the foundational steps that we need to be willing to take in order to, over time, establish and maintain wise biblical margins in our lives. Now, let's look at what Solomon said, uh, beginning in verse 5. I've looked at these first two verses before, but again, going to look at a bigger context. He begins in verse 5, the ones we're familiar with. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to who? Him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will be brim with new wine. Now, we'll talk about what vats and barns have to do with you and I in a minute. We'll come back to that. But look at verse 5, and I want you to notice two actions that you and I are called to. Action number one is to what? Trust in the Lord right off the bat. And then right behind that, he says, lean not. Lean not on what? Your own understanding. So you and I, are we not, as a believer, we're caught in this tension of life. I can trust Christ in a given moment, or I can lean on my own, own understanding. He's acknowledging this tension that exists for all of us. And he's calling us to, first of all, counter that by what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, let's pause 
Because trust doesn't just mean to believe, have information about the Bible or Jesus. What that word trust means is to have confidence in and rely on Christ. Now listen, can't I have or claim as a believer to have confidence in Christ but never rely on Christ? Is that possible? Yes, it is. All five of you woke up and said, yes, how about the rest? It is possible for you and I to claim to have confidence in Christ, but never actually rely on Christ. Now, in our culture, in our time, part of the struggle we have is because we get our basic needs met. But if you look at believers in third world countries, Cuba, Middle East, wherever, and they have to, I mean, literally depend on Christ to meet their safety needs and their basic needs every single day of their life. They do not struggle with trust the Lord with all your heart as much as we do. Is that making sense? I understand why. Because it's a lot easier for us to lean on our own understanding because we got resources to lean on. Whereas believers in these other places don't. They're not tempted by that like you and I. So we have to work particularly hard, I believe, including myself, to learn how to rely on Christ, to learn how to rely on the truth of his word as the actual final word in our lives. But he didn't just say, trust in the Lord. He goes on, as you can see there, he says, lean not on your understanding. And that that means what you think it means. Don't cling to or lean on your own understanding as your safety place, as your security. Lean on Christ as your security. So once again, you're caught between, and I'm caught between this tension that I've got to deal with. If I'm going to establish biblical margins in my life, I've got to deal with this. Am I truly learning how to rely on Christ? Do I, listen, come on, I, I know you, you could likely give me the Bible answer that, that I would expect, and you would expect me to say, but do we really give God's word the last word? Is God's word the real final word for how you live your life? That's a fair question, is it not? Because the Bible says, trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. He says, trust, rely on Christ. Rely on the wisdom from these pages from God's word and start making choices along those lines. So on the one hand, we're called to rely on and on the other hand we're called to resist rely on christ and resist leaning on our own understanding so it boils down to this and you've heard us talk about this before this is no big surprise but i think we sometimes forget what it means to actually trust and when we say trust it means rely on him it means to take his word as the supreme court of decisions if you will It means to take his word seriously enough that his word, what God reveals to you in given moments of our life, is the final word. It is not a perspective, but it is the perspective. It is the truth. And, and, And what he tells us in this passage is even more specific when he gets down to verse 6. Notice after he said, trust in the Lord, how? With all your heart. And by the way, heart, as we talked about just last week, means how you think. 
So think like God thinks. Rely on Christ. Rely on his word because you're taking on his perspective, how he sees the truth. Now look at verse 6. He then says, in all, I love how the Bible always sets the bar, right? He didn't say in some. He didn't say there's any options out. He said what? In all your ways do what? Submit. And in some of your versions, it will say, in all your ways, understand. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You see, ultimately proof that you rely on Christ, only the proof that you and I really believe in what his word says as the final word is what I do when I leave this place, right? Come on. It's what I do when I walk out of here. Am I submitting to the truth of his word? Am I submitting to Christ as the lead of my life? Am I truly following him or am I not? And Solomon is trying to tell us here that you and I only need to submit. And the word submit emphasizes knowing God on a personal basis. How do you know that you can trust God? Submit and let him prove himself. God doesn't need to prove himself. He doesn't owe me anything, but he wants to prove himself, as odd as that may sound. He wants to prove, and he will prove himself, but you and I are never going to know what he is and can do in our lives until we get to the place that we're willing to take steps of faith and submit. This idea of submitting, by the way, is so critical throughout the Old Testament in particular that it is used over a thousand times. 1,040 to be more exact. You've heard me say this before. When God repeats himself over a thousand times, I think he wants you to listen. I think this is a priority. And so he says, trust in the Lord to begin with. Resist the leaning on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways, submit to him. Put your feet where it counts in faith. And he, look at the promise, he will make your path straight. You know what that essentially means? You'll mess up less. You'll quit running off the cliff. You'll quit banging into the wall. He will make your paths straight. He has an ability and a desire to do so. Now, here's what's interesting to me when I compare verses 5 and verse 7. Look at verse 7 just real briefly. He goes on to say, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. That, of course, means have reverence for him in your life. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So that verse, that is connected to verse 6 when he says, in all your ways submit to him. And then on the other hand, the tension once again is, is pictured here. He says, do not be, he didn't say do not, look at it close. He didn't say do not be wise, right? You did see that, right? Okay, y'all awake enough to see that? He said, do not be wise how? In your own eyes. That is leaning on your own understanding. He's saying, do not be wise in your own eyes. So Solomon knows us well. 
He knows us. God inspired, and Solomon was struggled with this stuff too, by the way, and I don't have time to get into. But verse five, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And at the same time, you're going to have to push back, resist the temptation to lean on your own understanding. And then he gets to verse seven, six, and he says, I want you to submit with all your heart, submit all your ways to him. And then at the same time, you're going to have to fight this battle and resist the temptation to be what wise in your own eyes i think i'm pretty smart sometimes how about you not me but you think you're smart yeah it's pretty easy for us to think we're a lot wiser than we actually are until we do what rely on him and let him show us how wise or not wise we are you see, don't be wise in your own eyes. That's far too easy, according to Solomon. And listen, this is from a guy where God blessed him with wisdom and a lot of wealth, but wisdom to start with. And, and so what we, we see here, and I'm going to get much more practical with you in just a second. What we see here is probably not shocking. You'll, you'll see it on the big screen. First of all, that we've got to learn to trust the truth of God's word. It's the final word. It's the final perspective. Listen, even when it is choices, I, I've got to learn how to make that are hard. Just because God's word is the final word and you really believe that doesn't mean it's all going to be easy, right? And it's going to be easy to choose in alignment with his word, with that truth. Number two, we've got to learn to apply the truth. That's the obvious part. Apply the truth of his word. Now, let me get practical just for a moment. And let's talk about the process of establishing wise margins. I began with these two basic things because that's the foundational place. If you're not trusting him and applying his word, then you're not going to make much ground on biblical margins in your life. But if you are doing that, you're practicing that, you may be ready for this. And this is what I would suggest to you. Walk through the process of discover. What is it that Scripture presents as priorities for life? Look at God's Word and start asking what rises to the top as priorities for our lives. That is a life well spent, a life well lived. Let me just give you one example. Jesus was asked in the, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew had the same uh, event that took place. The Pharisees, as you know, were trying to trap him, and they said, what, how, do you, how do you sum up the whole Bible? What is the most important things in God's Word? And in essence, what Jesus is saying, these are the most important things in life. You don't have to guess. He tells you, and what did Jesus say? You, many of you know what he said, right? He said, number one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And we've talked about this before. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and he will inspire you to love people. So what's the bottom line? When I look at that, what do you think is one of the priorities of life relationships with God and people 
People who cross my paths. Am I in a place? Listen, do I have the margin in my, and I struggle with this. I'm going to be honest with you. I've got to obviously look at this myself. Am I in a place to love people that Christ is giving me the opportunity to love? Or have I got my life so pressed to the edges that I can't even see the opportunities most let's take them? Come on. Are y'all, am I the only one struggling with this? So number one, go through a process. This is not about condemnation. It's about growth. And, he's, and I would say to you, number one, discover. Look at what the priorities of Scripture are, the, the things that rise to the top in life. Number two, compare. And this is where it gets it gets really personal, and I get it. It's not condemnation, but it's, it's progress. Compare those biblical priorities to how you're actually living your life, listen, as a norm. I'm not talking about an occasion. We all have busy seasons or whatever emergencies to deal with uh, on occasions in our lives. I'm talking about what is your norm of life, and does it lack margin? Does it have enough margin in it? Wise biblical margin. So discover, compare the biblical priorities. Is that matching or is there a contradiction in your life? Number three, decide to make short term, look at that short term, easier changes first. You know why some people get discouraged in trying to make changes or progress on something? Because they try to grab the brass ring all at one time. They tried to go from, I don't exercise at all, to running a marathon overnight, or whatever it is. Too often, we forget to take steps on the way to get there. And I would say that if we really looked at it, we could decide to make some smaller, low-hanging fruit kinds of changes in order to add some wise margin to life that are not going to cause a big disruption to family or, or your life, et cetera, et cetera. So discover, compare, decide, and this is the long term. Move. Move toward the long-term changes that need, the harder choices that need to take place. If you and I will trust God at his word. I believe with all my heart we can establish and maintain and re-maintain and bring him back. We have, the, we have the basis to establish wise margin. Biblical margin in our life that will make a difference in our lives. Now, let's look just briefly at the value of doing so, according to Solomon. It's not something I made up, it's something that he said. God's word, look at verse 8. He said, this will bring, what will bring? When you trust in the Lord, and when in all your ways submit to him, those choices will bring what? Will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now that, that phrase health means curative. It means to heal. And the word body is not just your physical body. It's talking about your life as a whole. Your physical, your mental, your spiritual, your emotional, your, your life as a whole. In other words, what Solomon is saying is that when we will trust his word and actually submit to the truth of that word one day at a time, he will bring some life balance to your life. He will bring balance back into your life. He will bring health and healing into the whole of your life. I think that's a pretty incredible promise. How are you ever going to find out if it's true or not? Do it. 
Trust in the Lord and submit to him. Now look at the final part, the vats and the barns. What in the world does that have to do with us? So number one, when we will truly trust his word and apply his word, he's saying he will bring health to our lives, balance, life balance to our lives. But then he will affirm right priorities in life. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And the picture of the vats and the barns there was a picture of abundance. You cannot outbless God. You and I can never be a bigger blessing than God will be, right? You can give away everything you've got or whatever, sacrifice every moment or whatever it may be, and you and I could never outbless God. He will always be more than we can imagine. He will bless our lives. And, and, and what I, the point I'm trying to make here is when we establish biblical margins in life, then we will experience the right priorities. It will lead to the right priorities. What does it mean to honor the Lord with all your wealth? It just means to exhibit faith through what he's blessed you with. And I think personally, there's two things that, you, that prove whether or not we truly trust Christ. I can say I trust Christ all day long, but listen, you don't, don't listen to my words. If you could know it and see how I spend my resources, my treasure, and how I spend my time, if I say that Christ is important to me, but yet there's a contradiction in how I use my resources, my wealth, he blesses me with my, the material things. And there's a contradiction in how I invest my time. Which one wins in terms of the truth? Is it my words or is it my actions? It's the actions. And that is the point here. He's saying when, you've got to keep it in a context. The context of that call to honor the Lord with our wealth, with our time and our treasure, is back up in verse 3 where he said, verse 5 actually, where he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Dr. Swenson told a story that I thought was amazing. I may have shared this with you back in 2019. I can't remember. But he got serious about biblical margins in his life, wise margins in his life, when he took a trip basically with his family for a six-week period of time. He went to a third-world island among the Grenada population, and he went over there as a part of a ministry for six weeks with his family. He had two young boys and his wife uh, with a, a ministry called Project Hope. And listen to one thing he said about island life when he went to this third world, went from this thriving U.S. Uh, uh, kind of environment and practice in the medical field to this completely different culture. He said, very little happens on the island and what does happen, happens very slowly. And even the locals had this saying about the, their island life. Nothing works, but everything works out. Now listen, if we got honest, that'd drive me crazy. Right? Because we're taught to work everything out, right? To get everything in a row and make sure it's working. And I would have to, it would really drive me a little bit nuts for a period of time to go into a culture where nothing works, but everything works out. 
that, that would be different. And that's what he said. He said over that six weeks, their most mem uh, memorial, memorable, I'll get it out, memorable experiences are they had no media, so there were no media distractions, no, no phones and all the streaming and everything we've gotten used to in our life, no technology distractions. So basically all they had in terms of their personal time was who? One another. I remember when we had the uh, apocalypse, snow apocalypse back in February in my family, we sat there figured out how to actually relate to one another in the dark and the cold, right? Because we had no air or no heat and no electricity for a period of time. It's the same kind of deal. They were thrown into this kind of environment and, and they, they, got to, they got up together every morning, he said, them and the two young boys. They ate all three, get this, all three meals together every single day that they were there and they would even swim together on a lot of days and a lot of occasions. And he concluded that there are a few things in this third world that the third world would claim to be an advantage over the U.S., but margin is one of them. Having space to breathe and set right priorities was one of them. And so he went through this experience and it changed him, this six weeks. And he came back to his U.S. practice and this did not happen overnight. And he decided to make some adjustments in his life and to make some significant changes in the long term of his life. And I want you to listen to what he said. You, you'll see this. You see it on the screen. He said, I lived 16 years without margin through college, medical school, residence, my, my tongue is not working today, res, whatever that word is, and practice. And since the decision to cut back my involvement in medicine, I have lived several decades with margin. I can say with certainty that if margin were taken away from me now, I would beg shamelessly, shamelessly to get it back. You see, I think that's where a lot of us would be too. If we can get there, and it's not an easy journey, if we could actually get there and experience wise margin, biblical margin in life, I don't think we'd want to go back. I think we'd be the same way. So here's my challenge to you, my prayer for you, just like it is with me. Nobody said this is going to be easy. Nobody claimed it was going to be easy, right? You didn't hear me say that, right? Show me the video because I don't think I said it. Nobody said it's going to be easy, but what I will tell you is it will be worth it. And just take it day at a time, step at a time in faith, and you're going to begin to see what God and only Christ can do in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, just your presence day to day uh, in our lives. And, and Lord, sometimes life can be like a freight train. It can kind of take on its own life, so to speak, and be just going down the track at 90 to nothing at times, and we don't even feel like we're in control. So, Father, I pray that you'll give us the, the, the peace, the willingness, the, the desire to one day at a time begin taking steps to establish or reestablish biblical margin, wise margin in our lives, in part so that we can do your will 
in part that we can live a life well, this gift, this value of life. Help us, Father. Help us take this journey as families, as individuals, even as a church body. Help us take the journey to figure out what wise margins, biblical margins looks like in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.